0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on Earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
2: Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Caston, your host for "Let's Talk about Food," a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling, where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. We couldn't be more honored than to have as our guest today, Congressman Jim McGovern from Massachusetts. In addition to being an all-around great guy, he is the chairman of the powerful Rules Committee in Congress, and he's a major food champion. He's the co-chair of the Hunger Caucus in Congress, which builds on over 30 years of his work directing government funds to feed hungry people at homes and in schools. His current quest to get the Biden administration to set up a major White House conference on food and nutrition. It's been a long time coming. The last one took place when Richard Nixon was president. Let's have a listen. One of the things I would really like to know from the congressman is why this is his issue, how he came to it. And what was it like growing up as little Jim McGovern in Worcester and sitting at the dinner table with your parents? Where did the whole food consciousness come from for you?
3: Look, I've been interested in the topic of food for a long, long, long time. One, I like food. (laughs) Two, I also have encountered a lot of people over the years who didn't have access to food. When I was in college, I was an intern for Senator George McGovern of South Dakota, no relation, but thought he had a great last name. And uh, he was very much interested in the topic of of ending hunger in this country. He was the chair of a select committee on nutrition and human needs. He worked in a bipartisan way with people like Bob Dole, highlighting the issue of hunger in this country, also the issue of nutrition and security. And so I get to sit on a lot of the hearings over the years. And he used to talk about watching a CBS documentary back in 1968 called Hunger in America. And he was sitting there with his kids. He was in the Senate at the time. Right before his very eyes, it was revealed the extent of hunger in this country, which was something that he didn't think a lot about because he didn't encounter it a lot, at least as vividly as this documentary had unveiled. And when it was over with, he said, I thought to myself, how could this be in the richest country in the history of the world? He recalled a little boy being interviewed in a school and being asked how he felt. And the little boy said, I'm hungry. And he says "And I'm ashamed. And George McGovern said, you know, when I saw that, I I felt, here's George McGovern, I'm in the United States Senate, I'm on the Agriculture Committee, you know, my kids have enough to eat, and it's not that little boy who should be ashamed, it is me as the United States Senator, and I want to do something about it. And that's when they formed the Special Select Committee. I became a lot more aware of the problem when I was working with him, and then I went to work for Congressman Joe Moakley, and again, a lot of the casework that came to his office involved people looking for food. And then, when I became a member of Congress, people would come to my office looking for food. And I would go to hospitals and talk to doctors in emergency rooms who would tell me how many people came in who didn't have enough to eat. My sisters are both school teachers, and they tell me all the time, even now, kids come to school on Mondays and haven't eaten all weekend. What a tragedy is. I guess I'm ashamed as well. And that's kind of what has motivated me on this topic. And I've also thought it is important to make sure that when we talk about ending hunger, that nutrition is also at the centerpiece, because I don't want to give you food that makes you unhealthy. I don't want to give you food that I wouldn't want to eat. So the goal ought to be we need to provide people the food that they need, but we got to make sure it's nutritious. And if we do this right, not only can we help improve the quality of life for people, but we will save bundles of money and avoidable health care costs and lost opportunities you can't learn if you're hungry. That school meal is every bit as important to a child's ability to learn as is a textbook or a laptop. We have people who, workers who are hungry. I mean, so lost productivity in the workplace. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But the bottom line is, I have concluded that hunger is essentially a political condition. Uh, we have the food. We have the resources. We have the know-how, the knowledge. We've got the scientific data. We have everything but the political will. I chair the rules committee, which is the traffic cop of Congress. Everything that goes to the floor has to come to the rules committee. It's difficult for people to understand what we do, but we actually prepare legislation and work out disagreements between committees. But we also are unique in that we have no jurisdictional constraints. So we can do whatever the hell we want to do, right? (laughs) So, I mean, for example, if you want to, if you want (laughs) to talk about hunger in the agriculture committee, you're really kind of limited to talking about SNAP because that's what they have jurisdiction over. If you want to talk about school, you've got to talk to the Education and Labor Committee. When you want to talk about better food as medicine, that's energy and commerce, right? So there's not one place to go where everybody can sit down and have a whole list. Lots of
2: silos, lots of right. silos. So, right.
3: And the same thing in the federal government in terms of agencies. So what we're saying is, at this point, I want the White House, I want Joe Biden to put together a White House conference on food, nutrition, health, and hunger and bring everybody together. Let's look at this holistically not from the eyes of one governmental program, but how we make our education system better. How do we make our healthcare system better? And let's put it all together and let's not manage this problem. Let us solve this problem. Well, so what are the roadblocks? So the roadblocks I'm trying to overcome the lack of political will. I mean, there's not a big lobby out there to say, or or super PAC to say, I'm gonna reward you if you end hunger uh, in this country. What I've been encountering this mindset in some of our systems that we've been doing something the same way forever. So, why should we change? If your ideas were so good, why didn't we do them a while ago? I'm always amazed at the disconnect between nutrition and our healthcare system. I mean, I've been to so many conferences on various health challenges in our community. I was at, I was at one that was on high diabetes rates amongst the Latino population. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I never owned a restaurant. I mean, I, you know, I could have told you before I walked into that meeting that they were going to say there's a connection between bad diets and diabetes, and that's what they said. What was missing from that presentation was what are you going to do about it? I mean, like, why is it that a doctor can write you out a prescription for a very expensive pharmaceutical, but she or he cannot write you out a prescription for fresh fruits and vegetables? Why is it that if you want to become a doctor in this country, that you can go to medical school and not have to take any courses on nutrition? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. We need to change that mindset, even in our school system. At some point along the way, it was decided to basically disconnect nutrition and agriculture from learning. So we got kids who are in our school systems who don't know how some of the things that they eat are even grown we have kids who have never had an eggplant before. Growing up, I didn't know what the hell kale was until just fairly recently in my life. I mean, people don't even know what, what kale is. And when they if you give them kale, they don't know how to prepare it, right? So the cooking part of this is also very, very important. So why can't we figure this out better? You don't have to have a separate course on nutrition, but you can teach nutrition when you teach science and when you teach math. Helping kids at a young age understand the importance of knowing how to prepare meals how to cook is essential. You can have your food stretch longer if you prepare it yourself. Your food is better for you without all the artificial preservatives and all the other stuff that has to go into it. If you buy something that all you need to do is put it in the microwave and nuke it. You know, cooking is a skill. I cook it a lot in our house because it's therapeutic for me. It c- keeps my mind off of things and I like trying different things. We need to reassess systems, healthcare systems, education systems. My view is that if we're going to do this White House conference, everybody has to be involved, right? So we need to talk to chefs. We need to talk to food banks. We need to talk to mayors. We need to talk to the private sector. We need to talk to faith-based communities. We need to talk to people with lived experiences so that if we're doing something to respond to it, that we actually know what the heck we're doing. And we need to have an all-hands-on-deck approach from a governmental level. I've been meeting one by one with various cabinet officials in the Biden administration trying to get them to buy into this. I met with Pete Buttigieg, who's the Secretary of Transportation. I said, I need you to endorse this conference, get on board. Well, I'm the Secretary of Transportation. Where's my role in this? I said, well, we, we have things we call food apartheid, where people live in areas where there's no access to places that can they can get good food at we need to get food to them refrigerated trucks we need to look at a transportation system that can better get them to places where they can get good food i was at a place in phoenix a few months ago i visited a company called neuro and you know they do these uh, unmanned vehicles if you watch a pizza hut commercial sometimes you'll see these unmanned vehicles delivering pizza to people's doors right well these people in the company seem to have a social conscience and they said you know we're trying to figure out how we can be helpful in the anti-hunger movement well you know what we could conceivably transport fresh fruits and vegetables to people who can't get to it from where they live or they might not have transportation to them there's some complications with the technology you can only drive in areas that are 45 miles an hour or less and i mean but nonetheless details but (laughs) but, but, but they're thinking right they're thinking right Mm. i met with jennifer granholm secretary of energy she said well where do i fit in i said well Before we even get into the issue of climate change, which is important because it is adversely impacting our farmers, I was in California about a month ago, and and it was in Arizona, where they say it's dry heat, right? I mean, I don't know what the hell dry heat means. It was hot, right? Very, very hot.
2: (laughs) It just means that when you stand under something, it isn't as bad as when you don't stand under something. Yeah, right.
3: Well, anyway, (laughs) but they have high utility bills with air conditioning. So, You know, there's a role for you in that. Uh, I met with the head of the VA, Dennis McDonough. We have a high hunger rate amongst veterans. In fact, amongst enlisted servicemen and women who don't get paid a lot, they get a housing allowance. That housing allowance counts towards their overall income. So they are ineligible for SNAP. So we have food pantries near most of our military bases in this country. So anyway, everybody has a role to play. At the end of the day, being able to cook is a skill. It's a beneficial skill. It is also essential to your health and well-being. I was in New York uh, talking to the guy who is the chef at the Metropolitan uh, Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. And he and some other chefs are part of this program where go into schools and work with the school feeding programs in the schools yeah. to make the food more interesting and also to help yeah. teach people about how you can make vegetarian chili, for example, and providing them the recipes so they can bring home to their parents and, you know, and just they can replicate this. Yeah. I, I, I mean, just because you eat, you eat something at school doesn't mean it has to taste like crap, right? I met a guy in, in California who's working with a hospital trying to make the food that they give patients, which is supposed to be nutritious, taste better because he was finding that a lot of people just didn't like the hospital food because it was lousy. Now they like it so much, they ask him for the recipes to bring home because they want to replicate it. So eating nutritiously doesn't have to mean there's no taste to it or it tastes, you know, or or it's bland. It could be fun, but you got to know what you're doing in order to be able to prepare some of the stuff. It's a teachable skill. It is.
2: <laughs> it, it is, is not, you know, you have the, the gift from on high and you were hit by the, the lucky right. spatula. No, yeah, no,
3: yeah, yeah, you don't have to be a child prodigy to be able to figure out how to how to cook, but there's somebody that needs to help teach it to you, right? And look, I come from I joke that it's where the Tang generation I mean, where everything was like, you know we kind of moved away from cooking from scratch to things you could just microwave. So a lot of the recipes that my grandmother used to cook I keep on telling my mother to help me learn the recipe so I can pass them down because they were delicious. But they were also not filled with all the preservatives that you get when you buy things that are pre uh, pre pre-made and nutrition was never a big deal in our household. I love my mother. She's wonderful. And so let me preface my next remark by, by saying that, but when we were kids, our breakfast was like a Twinkie and Coke. My kids grew up and they learned a little bit more about nutrition uh, than I did in in their schools. But if I gave them something like that, they would like, not not for breakfast. How can you? (laughs) So I think we have to look back and say that some of the things that we valued way back when we need to bring back and food and cooking and appreciation for natural things, real things, there's great value to it. And it's not an elitist thing. I've been really impressed as I've been traveling around the country with all the community gardens that I've visited, and, and I'm learning about this new concept of food sovereignty, you know where people say, I want to have some control over what I put in my body and how it's grown, and right down to the type of labor practices that are used in terms of how I grow my food. I think that's all wonderful. That's all good. I, I visited a, a tribal community outside of Tucson not too long ago. Again, high rate of diabetes amongst the population. One supermarket, they finally get to locate there, but the supermarket's charging exorbitant prices for all the good food, discounts on sugary soft drinks and candy and junk food. So there's this effort to try to go back to the old ways and to utilize the same fruits and vegetables that their ancestors from way back utilized. That is a welcome development. And from a policy point of view, we got to find ways to be wind at the backs of those communities that wanna move in that direction. Yeah. And we have to rethink about what well, we subsidize all the junkiest junk you can think of. I'm not here to just lash out against junk food. People can eat whatever they wanna do. I'm not telling you what you can and you cannot eat, but we gotta make it easier and we gotta incentivize people to make better choices. It's complicated because it involves costs and it involves availability and sometimes it involves where you live. I was in San Francisco and,
2: you do uh, get around. I
3: do, I, 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 <laughs> the Rules Committee. We're doing. We we basically are have kind of formed ourselves into this this thing like the old Select Committee on Nutrition and Human Needs. We're doing hearings and visits all around the country to try to prepare for this White House conference. But in San Francisco, in the Tenderloin District, and talking to people who are coming to this community agency that provides people with fresh produce, I noticed this. One woman who's offered a, a box of good stuff, she only really took like a little bit. And I said, do you want, I can help you with the box? Would you want more? She says, I live in an apartment that has no kitchen and no refrigeration. So yeah, I want this, but it will spoil if I get the whole box. So I'll just keep on coming back. People have different realities that we have to understand and we have to accommodate them accordingly. You were talking about schools earlier. Schools in my district, that don't have kitchens that don't have adequate refrigeration. I mean, we should never build a new school that doesn't have a good kitchen and places to store fresh fruits and vegetables. So there's a lot of good things happening here and there. We just gotta identify all those good things and we have to provide policies that can help those good things scale up.
2: Well, you do a lot of that already. There was a study that just came out a week or two ago that basically calculated if you have been food insecure, for one or two semesters or some period of time during college, you never make it up in terms of your income potential. Right.
3: Now, we did a hearing on hunger on college campuses in the Rules Committee a couple of weeks ago. This is nothing new. It's been there for a long time. We just never talked about it. Some students don't feel comfortable talking about it. Big stigma. uh, Right. But we have administrators that don't know what to do If a student goes to them and said, you know, look, I mean, the cost of books and this fee and that fee, I'm having trouble getting food. Not every place, it's getting better, but not every place has trained their employees to be able to help students. Right. I saw there was a, someone was talking about it. Normally, if you get a meal plan, if you go to school, you get a meal plan, you pay this flat rate Mm -hmm. and uh, you get so many meals, but this woman started a program that allowed students who had the meal plan but weren't eating their meals regularly to be able to transfer the meals that they had on their plan for students who couldn't afford it. There were ways to solve this. It's a piece of how you might solve it. But we have to get to the point where we're saying, okay, here's a problem. Let's fix it. How do you fix it? Let's identify the ways and just let's just do it. That's what I hope this White House conference will achieve. You know, the last time the White House ever, ever, ever addressed a similar topic was 52 years ago, and Richard Nixon was president, now, Can you believe? but I worked for George McGovern, so I mean, it's the, I, mean I, I was told that Nixon reluctantly agreed to this conference, but in any event, out of that conference came WIC, the Women's and, and Children's Program, it came the modern-day food stamp, now SNAP program, a, a new emphasis on the nutrition in school, and we were making progress in the 1970s, actually doing a a lot of good things. Then came the 1980s, and it became fashionable to bash government and to bash poor people and to try to stereotype anybody who struggled in this country in a way that it was their fault or they were taking advantage of the system. Then we began to move in the wrong direction. But as we speak today, there are close to 37 million people in the United States, the richest country in the history of the world, that are hungry. But 52 years ago, That was the year we put a man on the moon. That's how long ago that was.
1: We'll be back with Congressman McGovern in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions master cheesemaker program and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
2: And we are back with Congressman Jim McGovern.
3: But 52 years ago, that was the year we put a man on the moon. That's how long ago that was we used to think big in this country. I mean, we used to think we could solve big problems and we used to have leaders that would say, you know, here's a big problem, let's not complain that they're insoluble. Let's quote and and solve them. Then we elected a lot of small-time, small-minded politicians who were like, you know, you know, a big deal is like getting a stop sign put up in somebody's uh, in somebody's street corner. We we got to get back to thinking big. This is a big problem and it's a costly problem. The good news is it's solvable. We need to connect the dots. We need to get everybody in a room and we need to just do it. Let's stop not acknowledging that this is a problem and an issue in this country.
2: People would love to be helpful. They run the gamut from citizens to chefs to nutritionists to professors to whatever. And there are a lot of them. What's the call to action to help you get to where you want to go?
3: Well, uh, so one is talk about the need for a White House conference. And if you have good ideas, you know, uh, go to uh, our webpage, rules, R-U-L-E-S, dot house, H-O-U-S-E, dot gov, G-O-V. You can put your suggestions of what we should do or what we should have hearings on, that's one way. And then you could follow me Follow me on Twitter for my for updates on some of the stuff we're doing, but you can follow me on Twitter, at Rep McGovern.
2: Can, can I just ask you to, I'm just thinking about it as I listen to you, the passion is more than palpable. It's kind of coming across me over the wires. Did you grow up in a house where every night at dinner you were having these debates?
3: I mean, my dad owned a package store um, in Worcester, and my mother was a dance teacher. My parents were solid Democrats, but weren't political activists, and we didn't talk about a lot of the big issues. My father liked everything overcooked, and we had everything overcooked, and uh, and we ate fast, and <laughs> and then. Uh, but we were are not not unlike a lot of other families but but the but the values that my parents instilled in me and my sisters i think are behind much of who i am today they are both incredibly decent individuals they were the types that if somebody you know lost a loved one they'd be the first ones over with a meat tray they always gave to various charities and the church pantry or whatever they but they didn't talk a lot about it i mean it was their they just want to help people out. And um, and I think that's what good government is. I mean, if you want to, a government, people who run for office ought to run not because they want a title or because they want to be president someday. They ought to run because you want to help people. My father passed away not too long ago, but he was a great, great guy. And my mother's still with me and I get more casework from her than I do from anybody else. I mean, I'm at the hairdressers. Uh, they, they're, they're waiting for their passport. Or, you know, this guy, I'm like, okay, thank you.
2: God bless mothers. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do the same with my kids. I'm always finding things that they could fix. <laughs> That's great. It's great talking to you. I'm just, I'm so thrilled and just couldn't be more interesting. One last thought. You're in Congress at a very difficult time, Mm -hmm. and the idea about getting big things done and wanting to get big things done, how optimistic are you?
3: I am optimistic. This pandemic made more people realize the extent of the inequities in this country. And by the way, there were people who all of a sudden found themselves in situations because they lost their jobs during the pandemic where they needed to go uh, in lines and get food boxes. I remember I was in—I think it was—it was in Ware or Athol. I was with the—I was out there with the food bank of Western Massachusetts, handing out food boxes, and it was a line of cars as long as you could see. Mm-hmm. And I noticed this one car, pretty nice-looking car. And I'm like, I wonder what, maybe they're here to pick up for somebody else. And so I, I was loading the box into the guy's trunk. Um, And he said, "Oh, you Congressman McGovern? I said, I am. He said, you're probably wondering why somebody driving a nice car is here getting food. And I said, no, I'm not. But I really was. Um, So (laughs) and he said, you know, um, my wife and I both lost our jobs. We live in a decent house. So, you know, we have some nice cars and but we have no savings. And so all of a sudden, you know, we are trying to make ends meet and also put food on the table. We have kids. We're here because we need to be here. And my hope is that we get our jobs back and get back to normal, but we are really struggling. A lot of people fell into that category. And I think as a result, I think maybe there's a lot more awareness that people are struggling and that any one of us could find ourselves in that situation. Mm -hmm. You can live without a lot of things, can't live without food. So we have to do a better job of that. And I'm finding as I'm going around the country, as we're doing these hearings, as we're doing a lot of Instagram lives, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I never even knew what the hell was <laughs> up until recently. There's a lot of enthusiasm out there. You know, people want to fight for some of this stuff. And if we get this White House conference up and running and we can get a plan in place, you know, Hillary Clinton says it takes a village. She's right. But it takes a plan. Otherwise, what the hell is the village going to do? The village has to get behind a plan. So we need a plan. We have not had a plan in this country to end hunger. If I asked President Obama or President Biden or I wouldn't ask Donald Trump, but if President Bush or if I said, what is the plan to end hunger in this country? They might say, oh, we have SNAP and we have, you know, WIC. And that's not a plan. Those are programs to help manage and contain hunger. Mm-hmm. But we need a plan to end it. And while we do that, we need to understand that we need to talk about nutrition. We need to talk about our systems from education to our agricultural systems to our medical systems it's a big 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 topic and we need to understand the extent of the problem i mean we're now beginning to all appreciate that there's hunger on college campuses we need to put it all out on the table for me what gives me hope is i've seen a lot of really good local initiatives that really should be scaled up i've seen people change student performance by giving them better, nutritious food. I've seen communities come together. Schools have gardens. There's a school in Tucson I visited called Manza, that elementary school. They told me the kids that went there, there's was a high rate of behavioral problems. Kids' performance wasn't very good. One of the teachers there who was into mindfulness, you know, and understood that working in gardens is actually therapeutic and important. decided to do an initiative. He partnered with the University of Phoenix to put school gardens in. They have school gardens. Parents, grandparents came to help make them possible. They have chickens. <laughs> they, they have chickens. They're raising tilapia in a pool. And the waste from the tilapia goes into fertilizer soil. And they have a farmer's market there once a week where the kids learn business skills and sales skills. It's just remarkable, right? That should be happening everywhere. kids are also learning about cooking and by the way these elementary school kids are helping to do research for the university of phoenix it's just a magnificent collaboration so you see things like that there's a group an initiative called the green bronx machine uh in the bronx I me steve ritz yeah yeah, steve ritz i mean i love them my my old colleague john lewis used to would call them would probably characterize them as troublemakers but they're good troublemakers and we need more troublemakers on this issue. So if people who are listening want to help out, I gave you the information, you know, to contact me. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you.
2: Thank you so much. This is so great. Thank you. We're resonating to everything you say, and we just want to help because, you know, to me, cooking is the one thing that everybody can share. Everybody understands that they're making decisions three times a day if they're lucky that affect themselves and affect the planet and affects the system and they can get their hands around it in a way they can't right. over a whole lot of other other topics. To me it's the it's the gateway drug of social activism. <laughs> yeah,
3: no. And you know what? And, and let me applaud all of our chefs and anyone who's listening because our chefs have been real heroes in this movement. I was visiting a place called Community Servings in Boston. They're working with them on medically tailored meals to make them as tasty and as wonderful as possible. I mean, it's really wonderful stuff for our chefs in hospitals or our chefs coming to Washington to advocate on behalf of programs like SNAP. Chefs have really have been incredible. They're becoming celebrities, if you will, but very, very powerful advocates for food justice and for good nutrition and for, you know, all things food related that are good and wonderful. So yep. I... I love it. Meanwhile,
2: they're fighting for their lives.
3: Right. I know. I know. During this pandemic, we're still not out of it yet, but we got to do all we can to support our local restaurants. And, you know, if you don't feel comfortable showing up in person, get takeout. We want to keep them there. They're important. These restaurants are an important part of our communities. They're a place where communities can gather. So let's just, we have to have their backs. We're trying in Washington with the restaurant. Act, we, we, we provided some money. We need to provide much, much, much more.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, but um, but support our local farmers, support our local restaurants, and, and let's end hunger.
2: Pretty good summation for uh, me. All right. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Generous with your time and generous with your heart. Well, thank you. Um,
3: thank you <laughs> and I'm glad we could do this. We'll, we'll stay in touch, okay?
2: Yeah, thank you. Keep up the good work. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Love you. Bye. <laughs> thank you, Congressman. And to all of us who listen to this podcast and care about food, let's help him. We'll put on the website all the information about how to get in touch with Jim and how to help make a White House conference on food and nutrition a reality. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our team, producer Rachel Gottbaum and sound engineer and composer Michael Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at heritageradionetwork.org or by visiting our website, letstalkaboutfood.com or find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com/slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community?